Thank you. Well, in this series, we're spending time, and it's called After Death. What happens after you die? And what happens after you die is extremely important. And what happens after you die actually should be impacting how you live. So when we talk about what happens to us after we die, we're not just thinking, oh yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm not, but you know, that's going to be years away. And you know, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a believer. I, I've got too much going on on earth to be interested in, to think about what happens after I die. When I die, they'll have plenty of time, eternity, to think about what's happened. Well, that's the wrong view. And that is not the way that the New Testament authors approach the subject of what happened after you die. What happened after you die, uh, that, that's what taught you what to do while you live. And uh, it was R.T. Kendall that said when he wrote uh, his gospel tract as they went out every Saturday in pilot lights in Westminster Chapel when he was there for 25 odd years. He wrote a tract and, uh, and in it he said, the gospel or the message of Christianity is, is primarily about what happens to you when you die. And some people said, you, you should change that, RT, and talk about what happens when you live. He says, no, I'm not going to change it because what happens to you when you die is the most important thing for you to understand and it will also explain how you live. And we have been teaching in the last two sessions. The first session I was spending time talking about what actually happens at the point of death, which is the separation of spirit, your spirit from your body. At the moment of death, you don't go into some unconscious soul sleep. But the moment of death is simply a separation of your spirit from your body. Yes, your body sleeps and will be buried or cremated, but you will be as conscious the moment after death as you were the moment before. In fact, you might be even more conscious depending on you know, how you were pass passing away. You'll be fully conscious. You won't die and not exist anymore. You won't die and go to in some sort of sleep. You, you will come away from your body and then you will go to one of two places, heaven or hell. And we will be spending some time, not today, uh, but we will be spending a lot of time on heaven and a lot of time on hell so that we can understand these, these issues. So death for the Christian, I was speaking last week, death for the Christian is nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Because Paul said, do you know what? It's better that I am away from the body and with the Lord. He, sa he, he said, I, I don't know what to do because I want to stay to help you, but as far as I'm concerned, I'd rather be, be gone, dead, and with the Lord. It'll be far better to be with him, and I spoke a little bit about that last week, and we also spent some time talking about what happens between your death and the resurrection. And we ended last week speaking about the nature of our resurrection body when God raises our body back from the dead. And all of that is on the internet for you, so you can go on the media section of our website and catch up and, and see those if you, if you haven't seen them yet. But today I want to speak about the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of the believer. Because before we speak about eternal matters, and remember, your time on earth is so short, so short. Uh, all flesh is as grass. Uh, the Bible says that our life on earth is likened to the dew in the morning. 
You go out there and the dew is on the grass, but by noon it's faded. It's as if it was never there. The Bible says that, you know, the grass fades, the, the, the grass, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So even if you live a relatively long life on earth, and I hope that you do, it's literally but a finger click compared to the amount of existence and time you will spend after you die. Because when you die, you do not cease to exist. You continue to exist because you are an eternal spirit. When God made man and woman in his image, he made them in their image as immortal. Your body's not immortal, is it? Not yet. So when you read in the Bible about us being mortal, it's talking about our bodies, because our bodies will be frail, our bodies will get weak, and should Jesus not return before we die, our bodies are mortal. But our spirits are immortal. You're created an immortal being. You will always, always, always exist consciously, okay? Now, one day, we ended last week, we said one day, our bodies are going to, which were sown or buried, Mortal, they're going to be raised immortal. That's right. We're going to have a totally new body when Jesus returns and, and, and we are raised from the dead. Uh, and those that are alive will be caught up in the rapture. Also at that time as Jesus returns, we will have what we call glorified bodies. The doctrine of glorification is all about the resurrection body of the believer. And you want to know the difference between the body you've got now and the body that you will have, which was so natural, but we relate raised spiritual, just like Jesus' resurrection body. Um, you'll be able to eat food. There'll be a physical aspect to that body, but you won't be limited by the physical world. I mean, if I try and walk through a wall, I'll bump my head. But Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he could disappear and appear, couldn't he? But he could also eat fish. He could say to Thomas, touch me. He could reveal his glory. He could veil who he was. And the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him. So he had a body that was both spiritual and physical. But he wasn't bound by physical things. He could appear, disappear as he wanted. But our bodies are going to be different. Your body is like an acorn right now. Like a little acorn. And I always think about this in the back of, of my garden. I've got this huge big oak tree about the size of, the, of, this, um, of this ceiling. And, and I think about the acorns that are on the grass when they fall. And I pick up an acorn and I look at the oak tree. And I can hardly believe that the oak tree came from the acorn. Well, if our bodies are like the acorn on the day of resurrection, they're going to be glorified and they're going to be like an oak. You're going to need a body like an oak, not an acorn, if you're going to carry the type of glory that you're going to be in for eternity if you're a Christian here today. You're, you're going to be right there where Jesus is. And you're going to, be in, you're going to have, you know, you're going to, your body. I mean, you pray for people today, don't you? We'll be praying for people at the revival service. And sometimes you pray for people. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they fall, don't they? They fall under the power. Why? Because their bodies, that's, that's a sign of the weakness of the body. It can hardly contain sometimes the presence of God just in a prayer line. What do you think that body would be like in the presence of Almighty God? Well, you just simply, your, your mortal body would just die instantly. And that's why the Bible says that no one can see God and live. What he means is, Moses, you can see my back, you can't see my front because your body would just faint, it would die. 
And so the new body that you're going to get is going to be absolutely glorious and amazing. But I want to talk specifically today about the judgment of the believer specifically. Because we're talking about, well, what happens after we die. And I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse um, 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. Paul speaking about sharing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock, that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as even they lusted. What is Paul speaking about here? He's talking about how he's living on earth. He's talking about how he's sharing the gospel working for the kingdom of God, trying to bring people into that kingdom because he knows that every soul saved on earth is saved for eternity. But there's a motivation uh, that, that is um, encouraging him in this. And he says, you know, I'm doing this. Don't you know why I'm doing this? Well, it's a race. It's like a race. And there's a prize at the end of the race. And you think of an athlete who competes for a prize and makes difficult, hard decisions in their training and diet regime in order that they get the prize in the competition that they're running for. And then he says, look, they obtain a perishable prize. I mean, in his day, it wasn't gold, silver, or bronze. In his day, if you uh, won the Olympics or if you won, won one, of the, one of the races, you'd be given a laurel, a beautiful leaf laurel. And that laurel you would wear and you'd be given the honors. But after a while, that laurel would, uh, would die. It was perishable. But Paul says, I'm talking about a prize that's even more real than a gold medal at the Olympics. It's not a perishable prize. It's an imperishable. You see there, verse 25? An imperishable crown. Therefore, I run. I discipline myself. I don't want to be disqualified I want to win my race, and my eyes are on an imperishable crown. Well, what's he talking about here? Uh, most Christians haven't a clue what Paul is talking about here, in my experience. But Paul is talking here about a heavenly crown, 
a heavenly reward that he was seeking to gain by his life on earth. And what is he referring to? He is referring to the judgment seat of Christ. And we see the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, I can give a couple of passages to show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, which reads 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Paul said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, while good or bad. And uh, that word, judgment seat, is translated from the Greek word bema. You may have heard some preachers speak about the bema seat. The bema seat, B-E-M-A. That's what we translate judgment seat, the bema seat. Uh, we also see the use of the bema seat in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Romans 14, verse 10. Speaking about judging one another, Romans 14, 10, Paul says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Or, for we shall all stand before the beamer seat of Christ. And so, Paul is here speaking about a day of judgment. And he's speaking to Christians in both 1 Corinthians, he's speaking to the Corinthians who are Christians, and they're in Romans, he's speaking to Christians of Rome, and he's saying, look, you know, how you live on earth, there's going to come a day when you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or the beamer seat of Christ. And this judgment is the judgment for Christians. Now, this beamer seat that Paul is speaking about, he is not talking about at that judgment God is going to decide whether you're going to go to heaven or hell, all right? If you are a believer here today, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, Romans 10 says you are saved. And if you believe in Jesus, then you have already passed judgment. Do you know that? You've already passed from judgment to life. Well, you say, well, what do you mean? You have been justified. Remember that word justified that Paul uses? And I often say, if you want to remember what the word justified means, uh, it's like this. It's justified, never sinned. It's just as if I'm not sinning, and it's just as if I'll never sin again before my Father. In other words, the moment that you truly believe, God declares you not guilty in Christ. All right? So you've already passed through that judgment and God has already judged you. And because you believe in Christ, you have been judged. He's paid the pen penalty. You have been pronounced not guilty in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's why you've already got eternal life. That's why you've already got eternity on the inside of you. When I mean eternal life, I mean you've got heaven on the inside of you, if I can put it that way. Uh, you, are, you are guaranteed heaven. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of everything that Jesus did. And you've believed in that, and you are justified, declared not guilty. So when we're speaking about the, um, the beamer seat, or the judgment seat, here in Romans 14, 2 Corinthians 5, we're not talking about whether a Christian is going to go to heaven or not. That's already being, being settled. All right? 
So this judgment is something different. This judgment, the Bema seat, is not about whether a Christian's going to go to heaven or not. It's going to take place in heaven. This is a judgment where rewards are going to be handed out, prizes are going to be handed out. In fact, the Bema seat, uh, which we translate judgment seat, was actually known in Greek culture. Uh, it was usually a richly decorated rostrum, a bit like the podiums you see, well, a lot grander than the podiums you see that they, they stand on the Olympics, you know, one, two, and three up, up there uh, as their flags go and they receive their, their prizes. And this Bema seat was a place where they gave out these garlands, these crowns to the winners of the event. So the Bema seat was a place where people were given rewards. The Bema seat could also at times be used uh, for public dishonor of people. You could be brought before the city Bema seat and judged. So that was a place of giving mainly rewards to those that had earned them, not just rewards in athletics, but it could be that someone uh, was, was very good in, in a battle for the army and they'd come back to the Bema seat and there they would re receive their accolades. Um, they would receive their, their honor. So this is the Bema seat that we're talking about. So this Bema seat is not talking about whether we're going to go heaven or hell. That's already settled. This Bema seat is about what we did for Jesus and whether we have earned a reward whether we've got, as Paul said, that prize. It's interesting, when I, I didn't really, in my mind, make the connection, but I decided earlier last week that I would do the judgment seat or the Bema seat or, the, or the, the doctrine of rewards today. And then it occurred to me on Friday afternoon uh, that I was going to my son's prize giving. And so there was a junior prize giving at my son's school, and he got a prize, which was very nice, but it was extraordinary for me to sit in this prize-giving ceremony because here I was thinking about the prize-giving ceremony called the Beamer Seat that we will all be before together when uh, Jesus returns and we're raised from the dead and raptured, we'll be together for this judgment seat of believers and so it was interesting to see. Jake goes to a grammar school, it's all, it's all boys, and I sat there in the main hall, and lots of parents were there uh, to see their boys get prizes, and a lot of the other boys from the junior years were also there. And then up on the platform was the headmaster, Dr. Fenton in all his robes, and all the other um, teachers were there. And on the table were all these amazing trophies and things that were there, which the football team and the cricket team and the rugby team had won, this, that, and the other. And, and it, was, it was an amazing thing to see this. And I thought, I, I never really thought about prize giving. I don't think I ever got a prize at school. And so to sit there and to sort of like see what was going on, and it was amazing. It was very touching to see these boys each come up onto the platform to receive their prize. Some for academic excellence, some for just improvement, just, just doing their best. One after the other from these different years, receiving their prize, receiving their applause, seeing the captains of the school teams being given the cups that they'd won, 
in, in the county. And I thought to myself, this is amazing. This, this is so positive to see their faces. I mean, there were so many boys going up, they're getting prizes. And as I watched these young lads, age 13 to 15, and as I saw them, I just thought, you know what, Lord? If you gave me these boys, filled them with the Holy Spirit, we could take the world. And I looked at that, the excellence. And, of course, to see these boys who had worked hard in whatever field that they'd done, put in the work, put in the graft, you know, worked and done extra in their homework, done extra, stayed behind school to do all their training for whatever team, all the extra that they'd done, all the hard work, and to see their faces as they came and were recognized and were applauded and were honored. And not only were, could you see on their face the, the sense of accomplishment and achievement that all that they had done in their various fields was worthwhile. You could see it in the face of the teachers. You could see it in the face of the glowing parents. You could see it in the boys who may not have got a prize that time, but they looked and they thought, you know what, I'd, 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 like, I'd like to win a prize sometime. That this is a, 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 a good thing. And not only was it the boys personally being honored, but really, when I took a step back, even if my son hadn't won a prize, well, I wouldn't have been invited as a parent to go, but I would have liked to have been there. And it's the first time I've been, because he hasn't won a prize. Because for me, the glory of that occasion was the schools. It was a reflection on the school. And although the headmaster is very humble, it was a reflection on the headmaster. It was a reflection on the teachers. It wasn't just this one person who was getting it. It was a whole reflection on the whole school and those that got prizes and those that were there to applaud and recognize the prizes were all one. And I thought to myself, I never thought about this. What if there hadn't been a prize giving? What if this work had never been recognized? What about all, all this hidden stuff, all this hard work, all this achievement? What, what, what if it never been recognized? Well, I personally would have never known what was going on. I wouldn't have had a clue what was happening in that school or the accomplishments that they had done as individuals but also as teams. And so this recognition, this prize giving, I thought to myself, what a wonderful, positive thing this is. To recognize achievement, to recognize aspiration for, for people to see what had happened. Like I said, it wasn't all the top boys. Some, some of it were the boys that had just done well. You know, the, the, they had, um, what's the word? Work, they'd worked hard. And for me, this is what we're talking about in a lot of a greater way when we're speaking about the beamer seat or the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there are two judgments, the beamer seat which is all about prize giving and reward for the Christian. But there is also another judgment, and that comes later. There are two resurrections and two judgments. When Jesus, is re when Jesus returns, there will be the first resurrection of the righteous. When the Lord returns, those that are dead in Christ will be raised from the dead, and we that are alive, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, will be caught up with them, our bodies will be glorified together. We'll greet Jesus in the air. And then as saved people, we will have the judgment of the beamer seat, the prize-giving ceremony, okay? Maybe that's part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who knows? The prize-giving. But while that happens, the dead 
who weren't in Christ will remain. Their bodies will remain in the grave and they will remain in Hades, all right? Now, what will happen is those that believe that Jesus will rule and reign with his church for a thousand years, at, uh, at the end of that period, with the last battle against Satan, when that is finished and before we go into full eternity with a new heaven and a new earth, then we have what the uh, second to last chapter of Revelation talks of, the judgment of the great white throne at the second resurrection. And at the judgment of the great white throne, no Christians will, will really be judged because we've already, had our, we've already been judged and found saved and had our beamer seat. But the main thing that will happen at the great white throne is all those Christ rejectors and that died not in Christ, they will be judged eternally by their works and they will be put into the lake of fire along with the devil and the fallen angels. So there's two resurrections and two judgments. Jesus returns, resurrection of the righteous, the beamer seat that I'm talking about today, all right? Prize-giving ceremony. And then, a thousand years or so later, according to Revelation, where the church has ruled and reigned on earth, like an earth as the curse has been lifted and everything that, that, that God wanted for earth has taken place. After that period of time, the last battle against Satan, there will be the second resurrection, the resurrection of the unrighteous, the great white throne, and the final judgment of all that didn't believe. I just wanted to set that in, in context for you so I can go back to this, um, this judgment uh, seat of Christ. Now, some people, when you begin to talk about the reward, I'd say, well, I don't want a reward, thank you very much. I think heaven is the reward. Well, heaven isn't a reward. Heaven is a gift. It's a free gift. Because those boys that got prizes on Friday, they had to do something to get those prizes. You didn't just turn up, can I have a prize? Can you imagine if I'd went up to that master? Yeah, I'll have a prize too. And he'll say, well, what have you done? Nothing, but I sure like to have a prize. I'll have one of those gold cups. So you can't have a prize. Why? Because you haven't done anything to earn them. All right. So heaven's not a prize. There's nothing you can do to get into heaven, but just receive it as a free gift. It's a gift. If I went up to the prime, if I went up to the Ed Marston and said, "Have you got a free gift?" He might give me a free gift, but it's not a prize. I haven't earned it. I haven't ran for it. I haven't done what Paul was doing in in, in two Corinthians um, chapter nine, and. Paul was motivated, it's funny, Paul, who wrote most about the free gift of salvation, also wrote most about the prize giving, about rewards for what we've done in our lives. And it's interesting because if you want to read a book on how to be saved, I encourage you to read Galatians. If you want to read a book on how to get rewards, then read James. James is all about how to inherit rewards. James even speaks about a crown of life. And that crown of life in James is not salvation. It's one of the prizes that is on offer that you can have. So James is all about getting your inheritance. James is all about the prize giving. And um, often when we look at the, uh, the New Testament, we often get mixed up with 
what is a prize or a reward or an inheritance and what is salvation? People look at uh, different passages and um, get mixed up. And they think that sometimes they look at reward and they think that's salvation. And sometimes they look at salvation and they think that that's reward. Now, let me just talk a couple of words that we use when we're speaking about a reward. Um, a reward, the Greek word reward or misthos, M-I-S-T-H-O-S, M-I-S. T-H-O-S, misthos, reward, is used 29 times in the New Testament. The word prize, we read it there in 1 Corinthians 9.24. Brabeon, B-R-A-B-E-I-O-N, B-R-A-B-E-I-O-N, used twice in the New Testament. Now, remember, the New Testament was written in what language? So sometimes we go back to the Greek words because we can learn more about those words than if we just see how they've been translated. Let, let's go to Philippians 3, 4. Again, it's Paul speaking about the prize here. Philippians 3, 14. Well, let's read from 13. Well, let's read from 12. Not that I have already attained or I'm already mature, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we have that word prize again. Paul is running for a prize. We also have a word, crown. The Greek word is stephanos, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-S, uh, stephanos, used in uh, 18 times in the New Testament. We find it, for example, in 2 Timothy 4.8, and I'll just read it for you. 2 Timothy um, Two Timothy four eight. Oh, let's go from four seven. Paul says, "I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will give to me on that day. And not only me, but all who have loved His appearing." So when we read the word reward, prize, crown, Paul is speaking, or the New Testament is speaking about a reward. It's not speaking about the free gift of salvation. Another word that is often totally misunderstood by Christians when they read the New Testament is the word inheritance. 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 What is an inheritance? Well, the best way of picturing inheritance and even, I suppose, reward, is to have a look at an Old Testament picture. Do you remember when we uh, read uh, 2 Corinthians 9 earlier on? And Paul was saying, you know, I'm pressing forward. I didn't stop reading, did I, when he spoke about the prize? I began to read about the Old Testament people, didn't I, in the wilderness? Do you remember that? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that was. And um, that's a good picture. Paul was saying, look, I'm going to get my inheritance. I'm going to get my prize. Jesus has saved me, but he's also got a reward, a prize, a destiny for me. And I want, on that prize day, I want a crown. I want the prize. Not just 
to show my gratefulness on this life for what God did for me, but that prize will bring glory to God. Remember what I said about the boys' school? That prize was not just to their glory and honor. It was to their class's glory and honor. It was to their year's glory and honor. It was to their headmaster's glory and honor. It was to the teacher's glory and honor. It was to the parents' glory and honor. It was to the school's glory and honor. This isn't just about self. It's a bigger picture than that. And then Paul went on to talk about and said, don't be like the children in the wilderness. They're examples for us. Now, the children in the wilderness, remember, they came out of Exodus. They were saved, weren't they, by the blood of the Lamb. God delivered them from Egypt, which is a picture of being delivered from your sin. And it was a miracle deliverance. They didn't do anything about it. They just applied the blood of that Lamb to their household. But were they meant to be in the wilderness for 40 years? Did God have a prize for them? Yes, the promised land was their prize. And God says, I have saved you for a promised land. I've saved you. But you are going to have to fight, conquer, accomplish, and take the promised land. It's yours. It's a land of milk and honey where the Jew is like the Jew from heaven. It's a wonderful land. It's there for the taking. It's your prize. But did they enter into their inheritance? Not that the Moses generation? No, they didn't. Why? Because of unbelief. Unbelief is the one thing that will stop you gaining your reward. And the, and the biggest unbelief is, oh, I don't care. And what's he on about? Prizes. What's he on about? Prizes in heaven. I'm not, I, don't, I don't believe. I'm not interested. I don't think they're that important. And So what? If I get to heaven and I don't have a prize, so what? I tell you what, there will be a so what. There will be a so what. Because before he wipes away every tear, you've got to stand before the beamer seat. <laughs> there, there will be. Anyway, let me move on. They didn't get into the promised land. What did they do? Did they lose the salvation? The children of Israel, when they refused to go in the promised land, did they lose their salvation? Who thinks yes? You're not going to vote either, are you? Who thinks no? <laughs> I don't blame you. No, they didn't lose their salvation. Because although they were judged and didn't enter their inheritance, they didn't lose their salvation. If they did, Moses lost his. Because he didn't enter the promised land, not one foot. And they still had the bread, the manna, for 40 years, which Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. It was a picture of him. They still had the water that came from the rock, which was Christ. They still had the glory. They still had the fire. They still had the cloud. They had the presence. But did they actually do anything to glorify the Lord? No. They did not enter in and gain their prize, their inheritance. That would be the new generation, the Joshua's and the Cable, uh, Caleb's that went in and took their prizes. And there is a warning that you can lose the prize that God wants you to get. I mean, if you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? But it also speaks about the works of the flesh. And Galatians 5, verse 21, and here are the works of the flesh, which are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, 
lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like, and here it is, verse 21 of Galatians 5, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's the sort of things that they were doing in the wilderness, weren't they? When they did that golden calf. Well, what does that mean when he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Does that mean that they lose their salvation? No. See, this is where people get wrong. They get salvation and rewards mixed up. They get the free gift of eternal life and their inheritance mixed up. That would be like mixing up um, uh, the, the, the cloud and the, bre- uh, and the manna with the promised land. You have to keep them separate. The promised land is a different place. An inheritance. What he's saying is this. You, you live like this and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that means two things. It means you will not inherit the kingdom of God in this life. Because Hebrews says that God is a rewarder of those that, you know it. God is a reward. So, and God rewards in this life and more importantly, in the life to come. So if you practice these types of works of the flesh, you will not inherit in this life. What does that mean? Well, it means the blessings of the Holy Spirit. God's blessing will not be upon you if you do these things. In fact, you will be run riot over by sin and the enemy. And all these works of the flesh are self-destructive, aren't they? You look at them, they're self-destructive. They don't help anybody, least of all yourself. You follow the works of the flesh, you will have a terrible life. You will be addicted to sin, you'll you'll need deliverance. No, it's not talking about, it's saying you will not inherit God's blessing, God's rewards that he does sometimes give on this earth will not come your way. And the greatest reward is the blessing of God on your life. Now the blessing of God is free, but I'm saying this is a warning that you can tamper with that. It doesn't remove your salvation. You can find the same thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Again, a list of works of the flesh. Uh, here we are. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under any power of it. What he's, he's, he's warning Christians, isn't he? And he's saying, don't act in these ways. You may have been that by nature before you were saved, these type of things. But now you're born again. You've got a new nature. Why are you living like you used to be? You're not that person anymore. And if you continue to live in these things, you'll still go to heaven. All things are lawful for me. But you, you'll have destruction in your life. You will not inherit the kingdom of God in this life or the life to come. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are profitable for me. You mess with sin and sin will mess you up. Well, if I mess it with sin, will I still go to heaven? It's a free gift. Yes, you will. But let me tell you something. 
you, you will have a double-edged sword in this life. You'll have the edge of sin cutting into you, wasting you, and you'll also have the edge of the judgment of God, the chastening of the Lord. I mean, those children of Israel, they wandered for 40 years. They were God's kids, but they were disciplined for 40 years. Even Moses was disciplined and didn't enter in. And also Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It's a similar passage about different types of sins. It says, you were these things, but you're children of the light. Don't be these things anymore, because if you do, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So most times when you read in the New Testament, not all, but most times you have to look at the context. When the New Testament speaks about inheritance, it's speaking about our reward. God can bless and reward our obedience on earth, uh, but also, more importantly, we will, um, we will be blessed in our obedience in heaven. Final chapter that I'd like to take you to that will really drive this home, this is just basic teaching, I know, is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, verse 9, one, all right, sorry, verse uh, 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Now, think of what we've been talking about, okay? Saved by grace, yes, but there are rewards, a beamer seat, a prize giving, a judgment, a holding to account about how we lived for God, yeah? Now, oh, sorry, so then, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 3. Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are the same, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed on how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. That's everything I'm talking about. Paul is saying is there's only one way to be saved. What's his name? He's the foundation. Everyone who believes has a foundation, a secure foundation, Jesus. If you ever die and find yourselves outside the so-called pearly gates of heaven, and if tradition is correct, Peter's there, and he says to you, why should I let you in to heaven? Just say, Jesus and that's, the, that's all you need to be saved. That's the foundation. So we've got the foundation. Great. So what do we do now? Well, some Christians think, well, that's it. I've got, I'm saved. Jesus. I remember that. Just say Jesus. And Peter will let me in. Right. 
see you in heaven, Lord. I'm gonna, I've got so much got to do in this life. So many things I want to experience. I've got to get everything out of this life I can. Oh, would you like to come to church on Sunday? Would you like to get involved in the vision? Would you like to give to God? Would you like to be a kingdom shit? Would you get out of my face, Bruce? I've got, I've got so much I want to do in this life. And when I die, I'm going to heaven. And so that person lives their life. They have a foundation that can't be destroyed. But they've, what are they building on it? Their, their, their life is like straw, worthless. It's meaningless. They're not going to get no prize. There's nothing there to give a prize. They haven't done anything. Like if I went to the headmaster and said, can I have a prize, please? No. Why? You've not done anything that deserves a prize. But this also talks about others that build with precious jewels. The decisions that they make, the actions that they do. They're thinking from a heavenly perspective. They're thinking, what I do in this life is going to affect me and the Lord for eternity. And they build with precious. And then comes the judgment seat. And your work, your life is going to be tested with fire. God is going to put the fire of purging. And he's going to give you the fire. And he's going to, not, and he's going to test everything that you, your life. And if your life has followed the Lord as a disciple, you will receive a reward. But if your life has just thrown these few precious years that determine eternity away, then what will happen? God will burn you up and you work up? No. It says here, your life will be meaningless for eternity. Meaningless. It will have meant nothing in, in eternal uh, weight or eternal value. Your life would have been, mean, mean nothing. But you will be saved as through fire. In other words, you'll be in heaven because of Jesus, but you didn't bring much with you. You didn't make, bring much to the table. You didn't bring much glory to your class. You didn't bring much glory to the headmaster or the teachers or the school. You, you didn't do anything. You just turned up and registered, and that was the last we saw of you. So can you see this passage? I know there's many other passages I could, but I'm trying to make a, a clear, simple presentation you, to you today. Can you see these, these, these rewards are there to motivate us? You say, well, why do we need rewards to motivate ourselves? Jesus was motivated. Hebrews 7, is it? says, for the joy set before him, he endured pain. He saw the reward said, if a seed isn't planted, it can't bear much fruit. Jesus paid the price because there was a reward. Do you know, Jesus wouldn't have died unless he knew that we'd get saved. If, if, if the father said, Jesus, you're going to die for the sins of the world, but nobody might get saved. He'd say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that if no one's going to get saved. But he saw you and me in the Spirit and he thought, I'm going to bring him in. And he died for the reward. That was his motivation. He wouldn't have done it for the sake of doing it. Hallelujah. And he brought glory and got the prize. We are the prize. We're his prize. Whenever we gather together, we're a prize. That's why it's important we gather together. It's important we assembly in cells and in congregations and in bigger events because we're showing our fruit to one another, to the world, and to the Lord. We are his prize. Here I am, Lord, Hebrews says, and the people I brought with me. Here I am, Lord, 
and the people I brought with me. Now, these rewards these that, that we're given, we don't know exactly the nature of them all, but we know that these rewards, more than anything, will bring glory to the Master. We know that there, there, will, there is rank in heaven. There is rank in heaven. And if G, when Jesus returns and we reign a thousand years with him on earth and put back the pieces of the earth that should be, and God wants a period of time on the earth when human beings live on the earth like they were meant to. And during that time when Jesus returns, we've had a, some people believe, and I think they're right, that part of the rewards will be, Jesus said in Revelation to one of the churches, that if you overcome, you will rule with me over the nations. Well, when's that going to happen? But it was only if you overcome. He was speaking to a prize fighter. He was speaking to the Paul that was running. He was speaking really about a disciple. And he says, if you follow me, then you will rule with me over the nations. This is why sometimes you hear people talking about or thinking about maybe if, what God will do and what, what reward they will, they will get. And um, I remember uh, Aura Roberts used to say, you know, I'm hoping that if I follow the Lord, that I might become mayor of Tulsa during that time of restoration. But there's going to be great work for us to do when Jesus returns. And he's going to be giving us. And the way that we've served him on earth will determine our reward during that period and beyond. And these will be eternal rewards. Remember what Paul said when I read from, from 2 Corinthians 9? He said, they get a wreath that is perishable. But what we get will be eternal. The crowns that we can cast at his feet. You know, crown him with many crowns, that song. And at the end it says we will cast our crowns. Some Christians won't have a crown. You say, well, they're going to be really sad. Yes, they are. Because let me say, I love Jesus and Jesus loves us. But he's no fool. He's no fool. And he's not, oh, it doesn't matter. It does matter. The judgment seat does matter. And publicly, we will be held account for the way that we've handled the precious gift that he's given us. Publicly, we will be, we'll, be, we'll have prize giving. Now, they don't do it in schools today, and I'm glad that they don't, but in the old Victorian schools, you get public prize beatings and public beatings. Prize giving. They would take someone, stick a dunce on his hat, a D for dunce, and stand him in the corner publicly. Because the idea was, those, are, those that get rewards. And, and you know, Jesus is not just a, fig, a, a, a presentation of 21st century Christian. Christianity. Sometimes we are so culturally in our, bound in our life. Like you say, well, I would never do, I'd never shame a child. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. But Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me, there'll be a day when I'm ashamed of you. We go, well, well I don't think that's educationally healthy. I agree. But unfortunately, Jesus isn't, is greater than our own culture. And he said it, not me. He said, if you own me, I'll own you. But if you're ashamed of me, there'll be a day when you will be ashamed. You see, what, what, why are you preaching this? Because you need to know it. It's God's word. I'm not just going to give you the sugar bits. I'm not going to tell you you're all going to get a prize if you might not. I, I'm not going to be, Bruce, why didn't you tell them that there was a judgment seat? Why didn't you tell them that what they do in this life has an eternal weight of glory. Why didn't you tell them? Why didn't you remind them that there are prizes 
and there are shames. They'd have got their lives right, perhaps. They'd have put things in order. They'd have moved forward to my glory. But you just gave them that soft soap. You gave them the grace, but you didn't give them the discipleship, the strong meat. Because once you're solid on grace and you know you're saved forever. Do you know what? I am saved forever. Do you know that? I, there's, no, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God, not even me. I am going to heaven. I am saved right now forever. Hallelujah. Right, now I've got that settled. Now I've got that settled, and I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can grow up. Said like some Christians, am I saved this week? Am I not saved? Am I going to heaven? I've settled that. Now the question is, am I going to grow up? Am I going to be someone that goes in to take the prize, or am I going to go around the wilderness just feeding on bread and, 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 and water enough to keep me going spiritually when, when there is a, a whole prize there. Uh, there's so much more I could teach on, uh, on reward, but I just felt it was important to give you a simple presentation of these things. And you can go deeper into these things. I'm a very good teacher on such things is, uh, is, is R.T. Kendall. And uh, we'll do more teaching on this. But it's important for us to understand, to sober up. And let's focus on the prize and let's focus on the prize giving, but more than anything, on the joy. Well done, good and faithful servants. On the joy. I mean, the headmaster was pleased as he gave the prizes. How pleased is Jesus going to be when he gives you your prize? You know what? Paul says, and he goes through all the difficulties he's been through, he says, do you know, it was worth it. These are little things for the eternal weight of glory. It was worth it. And finally, I just say one thing. You say, well, how do I know? God's going to test my life. What can I do about it now? How do I know? Well, God also gives us foretastes of that final test of fire in our works. Because the Bible says that our faith is tested by fire. We have tests of fire on the earth, don't we? Not things that, you know, I'm not talking about when things go wrong because it's our fault. I'm talking about things that we go through, challenges and tests. Not our fault, but we go through them, don't we? Those are your mini fire tests. They're your mini fire tests. And how you perform during those mini fire tests gives you an indication of how you're doing. How you're doing. Did you trust the Lord during it? Did you stay true? Did you totally collapse? Did you backslide? During those mini fire tests, while your faith is tested, that's where you're producing the prize. That's where where you're qualifying. And if you say, oh, I've just been through a fiery trial and I've failed, don't worry. At least you know. At least you thought, oh, goodness me, that's true. There was that fiery trial, that fiery test that came into my life and I just gave up. Ah, well, that's given you a test. Don't worry, there'll be another one soon. But the fire, I'm here to encourage you today. But the fiery test is, is, not, is not there to make you depressed. The fiery test is there to strengthen your faith, to bring glory to God, and to put you in a promised land. I mean, when they went into the promised land, they had to face Jericho, they had to face the enemy. But I tell you what, if you trust the Lord, you'll pass every fiery test. 
and you'll get reward in this life and the life to come. And that also lets you know when you're going, why are these things happening to me? It's a fiery trial. I'm not saying that God sends them, but he allows them. And how we perform in them is an indication to what will be glory. Because many of the things you'll be rewarded for, some people will have never seen. I've got to stop, but I can't help but say this. Matthew says, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing or vice versa. When you pray, do it in secret. The spirituality of the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is mainly secret. It's mainly, Matthew chapter um, 6 is mainly your secret life. And nobody sees but the Father. Your Father who is heaven will see. Your Father that is in heaven will see. And you will get a reward. He will see and he will reward you. So this isn't about who stands on the platform. It's like Artie says. You'll be very surprised at some of the people that stand on the great platforms of Christianity. You'll be very surprised some of those will get a very little reward. But some people you barely noticed, but were faithful to God in things you never saw, will get some of the biggest crowns, biggest applause, and give the glory to Lord the most. This is the truth of the gospel, my friends. I am not lying. This is not just some teaching. This is the word of God. This is eternal truths. And when we die, we shall experience what we have heard today. Let us be sober, full of faith and joy, and let us prepare for that day which is coming. In Jesus' name, amen.